There are many passages of scripture that come to mind when we think of harvest. When we think of this time of the year, the parable of the wheat and the tares, the law of the harvest there in Galatians 6, the parable of the seed and the soils, to name but a few. However, it is to the 20th verse of this Jeremiah chapter 8 uh, that we want to focus your attention upon this evening for our remaining moments together. The harvest is past. The summer is ended and we are not saved. The background to this verse reveals to us a a hard and and unrepentant people. The prophet here is instructed by the Lord to set before the people the folly of their sin which brought ruin upon them. If you cast your eyes there upon verse 6 where we read, I, the Lord, that is, hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his course as the horse rusheth into the battle. God, before passing sentence, carefully listens to the words of his people. That phrase there in verse 6, not aright or, or not right in the Hebrew means that which is utterly wrong. And you know, we all know tonight that right is never wrong. And therefore, we, we could read this verse there in verse 6, such as this. They speak that which was utterly wrong. No man repented him of his wickedness. The words of his mouth were evil, continually filled with lies. Further throughout this book, we read, uh, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And as the saying goes, whatever is in the well comes up in the bucket. How true it is. We read also that no man repented. That original phrase is very striking. No man had pity upon his own wickedness. No man repented. No man stopped to look within. And if men really understood tonight the true nature of sin, the sinner would repent out of very pity for himself. His own sinful state in which he is found. As a horse rusheth, literally overfloweth, it is likened to that which nothing can stop its destructive course. And that is a picture of the sinner tonight as they run headlong toward hell. Unless Christ steps in, there's nothing can stop their destructive course. With these few introductory remarks in mind, by way of background, we come to our text this evening. Here in verse 20, the harvest is past. The summer has ended, and we are not saved. With this backdrop in view, notice with me, first of all, the significance, the significance of the harvest. As we think of a final harvest, notice the significance of the harvest. The word harvest in Scripture is mentioned over 60 times in all. In John 4, 35, 36, you'll be familiar with the words, Say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto eternal life, to life eternal, that both he soweth, he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. The harvest is that appointed time of year. 
That time of harvest is a period of great industry. It's a, it's a busy time of the year. It's a time of great opportunity. It's an opportunity to, pray, to prepare for that which lies ahead. A time to reap the fruits of the land and to lay them up in store for the days which lie ahead in the will of the Lord. It is an allotted time. It is an appointed time. It is an assigned time, the time of harvest. But nonetheless, the harvest time, it comes and it goes. Oh, there's plenty of work to be done in the common time eh, from the sowing of the seed to the harvest in Judea was about four months. And speaking of the physical harvest, the farmer, when he goes and he sows his seed, he's therefore compelled to wait until it produces crop. He is encouraged in the sowing of it. He works hard in the preparation of the ground and the sowing of the seed because he does sow with such expectation that one day it will yield a harvest. He takes heart in his labor that the days of gathering his due reward will soon come to pass. And therefore so it is true regarding the spiritual harvest while preaching the gospel in the times in which we live. We may still be in the seed time tonight for some here. There is still opportunity for you to come to Christ, receive him even this night unto salvation. However, the period in which you find yourself in also allows you to continue on in your pursuit of happiness and the satisfaction uh, that this old world brings, that pleasure in sin that is but for a season. Nonetheless, friend, be warned tonight. The harvest season is limited. So are the pleasures of sin. We reminded there of those words in Hebrews 11 and 24. By faith Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Compare those words with the psalmist in Psalm 16 and verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at, that right hand, at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. What a contrast. Found in sin or found in Christ. How are you found tonight as we think of the significance of the harvest? Oh, the final harvest, the significance of the harvest. But see also with me tonight the shortness, the shortness of the harvest. What do we read here in our text? The harvest is past. The harvest is past. Revelation 14 uh, verses 15 through 16 and we read and another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice uh, to him that sat on the cloud thrust in thy sickle and reap for the time has come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he sat on the cloud and thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. John reminds us, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Why? Because the night cometh and no man can work. We notice that the harvest in both the natural, the physical and spiritual sense, it's only for a season. It's only for that period of time, men and women tonight and young people. And one day that that, that time will pass by, that window of opportunity will close and all that is not in will be lost. Every farmer here tonight knows the reality 
of that truth. There have been those years, uh, due to difficult working conditions, that the crops have been lost in the fields. The rains have come in and the barley and the wheat have been beaten down. Or the locally here, maybe the ground has become so waterlogged that the, the grass could not be harvested. And there is no recovery. There is no remedy. It's lost. The time for working in the harvest field is short. And when the crops have been gathered in, how much quicker the time passes. We're so busy working in the field, how quick the time goes through. Folks, I don't need to remind you tonight about the brevity of life, how time passes so quickly. James reminds us, he asks that question, what is your life? He gives us the answer, it is but that vapour, even a vapour that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And perhaps you're trying to get something done that should be simple and straightforward. But before you know it, you look at your watch or your phone and time has gone by. And you're too late for whatever appointment that you had at hand. It's not, is this not the way of life? Oh, it goes by so quick. Perhaps you're sitting here tonight and you just pause for a moment and you think back. Don't realize how the years have passed, how quickly time has gone by. I think it's over 22 years ago from I was first in this church here, and it doesn't feel like two or three years ago. Time flies. How quick time goes in. We look back with grey hairs to school days, and we wonder where the time has gone. Consider the verse that There the psalmist gives us in Psalm 39 and verse 4, Lord, make me to know mine end and and measure of my days what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth and mine ages as nothing before thee. Verily every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Dear unsafe friend here tonight, the harvest is quickly passing by and yet you're still unsaved perhaps you attended the missions your brother has spoken of they've passed by perhaps you were here yesterday morning it's passed by yesterday evening Maybe there was a great day's preaching in this house yesterday, but yet you're here again tonight and you're not saved. Time is passing by. Can you tell me tonight how many minutes, how many days, how many hours, how many years that you have left? One day the Lord will give the command to thrust in the reaping hook, the sickle. And your days will come to an end. The harvest will be gathered in. And the wheat and the tares, they will be separated. Are you ready for that day? If this evening the harvest has passed for you. The final harvest. The significance of the harvest. The shortness of the harvest. But see also with me tonight the sovereignty. The sovereignty of the harvest. You see, we read here in our text 
The summer has ended. The summer has ended. The harvest is dependent upon God's timetable, you see. It's not our timetable. Any farmer here tonight will know that. Oh, we can plan, we can have our machinery ready, we can be ready for when, when the weather comes good, when ground conditions are right. But ultimately, all these things happen. The ripening of the, of the harvest, whatever it is, wheat, grain, grass, whatever it is, it's ultimately the Lord's work. The farmer can only harvest a crop when, the, when it is grown, when it is ripened, when weather conditions are suitable. Because God is sovereign over the harvest. Turn back with me for a few moments, if you would, to Ruth chapter 3. To Ruth, the little book of Ruth, and the chapter 3. Wonderful little book it is. We think of the story of Ruth and Boaz. We remember how that the laborers all had their part to play in the field. But ultimately Boaz is seen here as a type of Christ, the kinsman redeemer, the Lord of the harvest, remained in control. And now at the end of the harvest comes to the winning, winnowing or the threshing of the wheat there in verse 2 of chapter 3. Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. And this chapter 3 of Ruth is all about the threshing floor. The winnowing of the wheat is that special task of the master of the harvest. The servants are, are prepared in the field. They toil in the reaping and the plowing. And the maidens there that we read of, they gather for the gleaning at the time of the harvest. However, the Lord of the harvest has a special connection with the threshing. Oh, the maidens, the servants, the laborers, all in the field. And you know what does that remind us tonight? Even as the people of God, we have all a part to play in the work of God. He grants us opportunity to serve him. Oh, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. But yet he chooses to use us as an instrument in his hand. Used. Each one has a, a, a part to play. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 10, uh, gives detail there of every believer has their role to play in the work of the Lord. But the Lord is ultimately over it all. I have planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Here in chapter 3 of Ruth, the young maidens, the servants, they all disappear. And the work is exclusively of the master. Over in Matthew's gospel, chapter 3 and 12, we, we read there, whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Spiritually, men and women, the threshing floor is likened to judgment. And this is the work of Christ himself. Tell me, dear friend, tonight, are you ready for that final harvest?
In 2 Peter 3 and 9 we're reminded the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but his long suffering toward us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Tell me, dear unbeliever, this evening, you may be saying to yourself that this is a very morbid message. You'd think after two weeks of mission and after a a lovely harvest day of services yesterday on the Sabbath day that he could give us a a real uplifting message. He he could do without being so morbid. However, we don't bring a morbid message tonight to you, but we bring a message of hope. We have much to be grateful for. The Lord has been merciful to you tonight, dear unsaved one, in this meeting in his sovereign and in his providential plan. He presents to you another opportunity to sit again once more in a gospel meeting. Another harvest thanksgiving service. There is this opportunity which has been afforded to tell you of how you can be right with God How you can be ready for God's eternity. How you can have that assurance and that peace of heart and mind. That hope of sins forgiven. Having had them cleansed in the precious blood of the Savior. And been made right with God. Rather than one day to face his wrath. Of a holy, righteous and just God. Who must punish sin. You can be redeemed. That is purchased by the precious blood of Christ which was shed there on Calvary Street. But will you repent tonight and believe the gospel? Tell me, are you living a life for yourself, for the world, the flesh? Are you living for God tonight? How are you found? We look down upon you tonight and everybody's so well turned out for the final evening of the harvest. We look on the outside, we have no idea what's going on within, but thou knowest. And ultimately the Lord knows. Are you living your life in accordance with the way of the Bible? Are you serving Christ day by day? Have you made him king and lord of your life? Have you accepted his way of salvation as the only way of salvation? You see, God must punish sin. And that is anything that is in your life that is contrary to his word. Every lie you tell, every curse word that you use, every time you take the Lord's precious name in vain, every immoral and lustful thought that you think it's sin, and all sin must be punished. Oh yes, God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He said that one day, though his patience will run out, we're reminded in Genesis 6 and 3. The Lord says, What my spirit shall not always strive with man. That is, for that period of time that he allows. And no further. Not one of us know how long he will suffer. Our rebellion toward him. And you know, sinner tonight... You don't know when the Lord will say enough and no more. Is it not time you are right with him this evening? Is it not time you threw up those arms of rebellion? Fled to Christ even tonight. 
be like that one on the cross. Oh, you know, some people, it has to be, think it has to be a, a, a fancy prayer. It has to be this, it has to be that to be saved. What did the thief on the cross do? He, he looked to Christ and he said, remember me. Lord, remember me. What of the response today? Shalt thou be with me in paradise? Will you look to Christ tonight? Will you look to him? Oh, it's of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed because his compassions they fail not. Oh, we think of that mercy. What does it mean, the mercy of God? Well, it's that God, God is withholding from us that which we rightly deserve. And what is that? Oh, our just desert is that of punishment and hell and that for all eternity. You know, it was rightly pointed out even in our own services yesterday. We live in a day in which we have that sense of entitlement. We nearly feel that we deserve this and we deserve that and we're hard done by and so on and so forth. That sense of entitlement. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, he never, ever needed to come to the earth. We didn't deserve anything. We didn't deserve the least of his mercies. But yet, he came from heaven. He condescended, came and lived and dwelt among men. The God-man, the spotless, sinless Son of God, died on the cross in our guilty room instead to redeem a people to himself. Is it any wonder the hymn writer penned those words? Help me to understand it. Help me to take it in. What it meant to thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. Oh, you know, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve to be saved. But yet God in his mercy tonight again, he, he presents to you the gospel. He presents to you to God, the gospel tonight and his sovereignty. The gift of salvation through faith in Christ alone is for those who will repent and believe the gospel. Oh, it's the greatest act of grace toward mankind. The final harvest. The significance of the harvest. The sovereignty. The shortness of the harvest. The sovereignty of the harvest. But finally and very quickly, the solemnity. The solemnity of the harvest. There in our text, we read in Jeremiah 8 and the verse 20, the harvest is past. The summer is ended and we are not saved. You know, there's not any more solemn or words to be found. And to be found here tonight in Market Hill in a Protestant town in a gospel-preaching church. And yet you have to confess, after all the years of preaching, after a fortnight of gospel mission, you have to say honestly, we're not saved. The solemnity, the harvest, this phrase in the original bears a dreadful meaning. It can accurately be translated as this, the time has passed the end is up and we cannot now be saved. Time's up. 
too late. And dear man, woman, boy, or girl, here tonight in this meeting, may you turn to Christ for salvation this night while you can. Because there'll come a day and time will be up. It'll be too late. We've quoted already, my spirit shall not always strive with man, saith the Lord. And what a dreadful tragedy to never hear the voice of the Lord again speaking to your heart. Perhaps the Lord has been speaking to you over these past weeks. He has been speaking to you yesterday and you're here again tonight and he's speaking to your heart again. Well, I plead with you and I implore you tonight, today, if you'll hear God's voice, harden not your heart. How sad it would be if you go out through those doors never hear the speaking voice of God again. Oh, you may say, oh, I'm tormented knowing that I'm a sinner. I must get right with God. I just wish God would stop speaking to me. Maybe you have the audacity to think such a thing. But rather than be found thinking in such a way tonight, can I implore you to to give up your old sinful ways and those so-called friends that hold you back, the so-called pleasures of this old world that only last for a season, and rather flee to Christ. Dear unsaved one, come to Christ. And then a striving with thee will cease. Oh, you'll know what it is to enter in to that perfect peace. That perfect peace, that wonderful assurance, knowing that you have that eternal rest, peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, the final harvest, the significance of the harvest, the shortness of the harvest, the sovereignty of the harvest, the solemnity of the harvest, God's word, could God's pronouncement Rather be on you this harvest thanksgiving evening be this. Not saved, yet salvation provided so dearly. Not saved, yet it is offered, salvation is offered so freely. Not saved, yet salvation is so necessary. Not saved. Yet time is passing by so quickly. Not saved. Even though life is based upon so great an uncertainty. You've heard the news as I have. Even in past days. People. Were in that shop there at Creaseloch. In Donegal. And only out through the door and away. And they were, their life was preserved. And yet others, their time was up. Passed out into God's eternity. You've read the report. Ten people presently. For various ages. Young, older people. Out into God's eternity. The harvest is past. The summer has ended and we are not saved. One has written of this final harvest in a poetic verse. 
saying this when the choir has sung its last anthem and the preacher has voiced his last prayer when the people have heard their last sermon and the sound has all died out on the air when the Bible lies closed in the pulpit and the pews are as empty empty of men when each one stands facing his record the great book is open what then? When the actors have played their last drama, when the mimic has made its last fun, when the movie has flashed its last picture, when the billboard displayed its last run, when the crowd-seeking pleasure has vanished and gone out in the darkness again, when the trumpet of ages has sounded as we stand before him, what then? What then? I trust each one here tonight is found ready for that final harvest. Amen.